Thank you for joining me in my town. All material herein under copyright. Season 1, Podcast 7, an excerpt from The Book of Isaac. Today, I'm going to share the prologue for my upcoming novel, The Book of Isaac, available September 1st. As far as the elements of fiction go, stream of consciousness and flashback are the biggies here. Book critics have had plenty of good to say about both elements in my previous novels. Personally, I think stream of consciousness is one of my most accomplished skills as a writer. I'm always doing it, and so are you. Creating stories, scenes, conversations between characters that you mediate. Sometimes we have a running narrative going on inside our heads, revising as we go. It's how we solve elemental problems we later transfer to the page. But stream of consciousness should be seamless. Readers need to flow along on the tide, not of our words, but of the mood we are creating. They float, guided by a gentle hand. Stream of consciousness is not overbearing, but neither is it passive. There is definitely a motor running, an energy flowing, but the reader should sense this and even recognize that they are being steered in a certain direction without it being stated. What this prologue also offers is a beginning. Many novels start off running from chapter one, and that's great. It works. Others begin with a prologue where a catalyst is detailed that puts the story on the rails. The why, or the what, that started it all. It's a treasure trove of glittering jewels that connect to far-reaching plot developments and character motivations, and it casts the mood of the story. The Book of Isaac, Prologue, 10 months before, they wanted her to trek back into the woods. The thought brought with its shadow, a bone-deep chill. She looked up at the sky, but the sun still shone brightly, no clouds. Back into the woods. She ran all the way out, six miles, maybe more, keeping to the path, though she'd wanted to run wild into the brush, looking over her shoulder, tripping on exposed roots, crashing through tender growth. Natalie Forrester had run scared through woods she'd been exploring since childhood. She didn't want to go back there, not ever. She shook her head, looked at the officer, and said, No. You won't be alone, Miss Forrester, the deputy promised. But he was wrong. In the woods, you were always alone. I'm not going back, she told him. She'd give them directions again, more detailed. Describe the trees at each turn more individually. The wildflowers at the entrance to Jackman Trail were the only red in bloom. She turned west there, followed an unmarked but well-worn path She'd draw a map. Miss Forrester, the deputy's voice was stretched into patience. Several deputies will accompany you. They'll take you in, mark the site, and bring you right back out. She didn't want to see it again. Him, she corrected. He'd been a person, a man. She'd recognized his gender by the shape of his body, the strong line of his jaw, where skin was opened by man or animal and bone exposed someone's brother, husband, father. For a moment, as she'd stood before him, she saw him animated, his face grim. He was holding a gun, his arms outstretched. He fired, and a white-winged bird lifted from the muzzle of the gun and wheeled skyward. Natalie's throat had closed. She'd struggled for breath, and for a moment, she was convinced she was dying. And then the image broke, shattered, 
and she was again in the woods with a dead man. She noticed that he'd been shot, a small hole off center and burned black at the edges of the torn skin, had been blown above his eyebrow. His shirt hung loosely from his shoulders. The wind, full of the salt air rising from the Pacific, lifted the shirt tails like ribbons on a windsock. She refused to remember anything more. I'm sorry, she said. I've done all I can. Begin flashback. Not too far ahead. Nellie heard her father's voice, but she listened to the music in it and not the words. Her father had a voice that lifted like a question mark. Her mother said he spoke like he was always asking a question because he was a professor, and that's what professors did, ask questions. Natalie liked it because it seemed to her that he was interested in what she was thinking. She ran on around a bend in the path and then another. It was the first day of spring, and though the air was cool, they'd come out to celebrate the opening of flowers and butterfly wings. She was six in the first grade, and he'd excused her from school for the day. Nat, Nat, her father called to the tall grass. His voice barely reached her ears. The poppies swayed, covering the hillsides, and caught her attention. She left the path and started toward them. She touched each bloom gently, stroking their ashy petals, wading further into the rolling meadow with the intention of touching every one of them, and she'd gotten lost. She remembered when she first noticed the absence of her father. He was no longer calling her name. Nally spun around in the field of wildflowers looking for his slender body, his bright head of blonde hair. She was alone. She heard herself whimper, told herself to stop that. She'd be found. She did what she often did when she became separated from her parents in a store. She started calling for her father, wandering, looking for him. Stars came out before the sky was fully dark, and Natalie consoled herself with the thought that it wouldn't get truly dark, not the blackness of a cave or beneath her bed. She talked herself to sleep and woke up in the morning stiff from the cold, hollow inside, her blood full of the fear of being lost. And then a woman stepped out of the woods and into the meadow and said to Natalie, as calmly as if she'd been lost only a few minutes, there you are. Not a month later, her father taught Natalie to walk the woods alone, to read the trees, recognize patterns in the brush. He didn't want her to live with the fear of the woods, to never again enjoy their beauty. He gave her a compass, stood her at the edge of the woods with civilization comfortingly at her back, and taught her to work direction like the numbers on a clock. If she headed north going in, then east brought her to one o'clock. Standing on the three, she was exactly northeast of her point of entry, and so on. After that, he walked her into the woods, first a quarter mile, then a half mile, eventually more than five miles in, and left her. I'll see you back at the car, Nat. She taught herself not to think of it as a battle, not to fight her way out of the trees, not to jump at the crack and hiss of the woods. She talked herself into believing she could do it. She learned that the woods were a constant, familiar if you knew what to look for, and deadly if you didn't. End of flashback. The hike back in was longer. She didn't anticipate the signs of spring. She didn't allow her eyes to catch on the colors and shapes. She didn't listen to the chatter of birds and squirrels. Behind Natalie, seven deputies crowded the trail, some with little respect for nature. 
They whipped at the tall grass with her arms, plucked and tossed blossoms. When she picked up the scent of the ocean, fear began to bunch in her stomach. She curled her hands into fists and walked on. She used her body and its sense of space, remembered space, and stopped just short of where she'd come upon him. The deputies piled to a stop behind her. I'm not going any further, she said. He's around there. She pointed to a bend in the path, right side, an alder tree. They moved around her, stomping on fern and wild oat. There was poison ivy mixed in the greenery. At least one of them would catch the spores on their skin. All seven deputies moved up the trail, leaving Natalie alone. End of flashback. So let's talk about flashback. There are two general rules of thumb. A writer should use flashbacks sparingly, otherwise the reader is jumping back and forth, present to past and back again, and this creates a less than pleasurable experience for the reader. The second rule, the flashback needs to bear weight, meaning it has to use as few words as possible to convey a pivotal moment for the character or the storyline. The flashback in my example comes after a traumatic moment for the character. Natalie had discovered a dead man in the woods. The death was the result of murder, and the police wanted her to take them to the body, which meant a six-mile hike back into the Mount Tampalias Park with men she didn't know, where danger awaited. This triggered for our character another time when the woods had been a danger, so its timing makes sense. And what purpose does a flashback serve? The reader is introduced to Natalie's father. Even in his cameo appearance, he is complex, a man who indulges his daughter's whimsy by excusing her from school and taking them on a search for butterflies and flowers. A good dad does something like that. But he is also the man who brought Natalie back to the woods after her frightening experience there and leaves her with a compass in hand in the job of finding her way to safety. Remember, Natalie was only six years old at the time. And though one can understand her father's desire to teach his daughter to know the woods, to not get lost again, to not lose her joy of the place, but to leave her a mile and more in to fend for herself, that seems at odds with how loving father, with how society as a whole, cares for a young child. It gives her father an edge, and as the reader ventures further into the novel, you'll find that maybe Nally's father wasn't solid gold. A beginning that intrigues. Who is the dead man to Natalie? Why does discovering him trigger in Natalie the imagery of a man with a gun? Is he the killer? And the white bird rising from the muzzle of the gun as it's fired? What is the meaning of this? White is a common symbol of innocence. And as the imagery unfolds, Natalie feels like she's dying. Is this an indication that the first character we meet is, is destined to become the next victim? Surprisingly, the answers to all of the above questions are not what's expected, as it should be in a well-crafted book of suspense. But the developments in the prologue get the reader thinking and turning the pages. And that's the best applause you'll ever get. Your writing hooks the reader and carries them along for the ride, hopefully into an incredible adventure. If you've been writing for any amount of time, then you've already been honing your skill with stream of consciousness how about flashback? Did you use it in this week's free write? Have you considered its place within the story? Does it fit or is it forced? With something like this, you don't want to trim the corners in order to nudge it into place. 
It's totally okay to move the scene to another place in the storyline. And what purpose does your flashback serve? It must reveal something crucial about character or storyline. And if not, then the disruption to the forward progress of the narrative is not necessary. We have many tools for our use in creating story. Flashback should be reserved for a place and purpose that adds weight to the plot. And the writer will return to that place at some forward point in the story to tie off this loose end in a way that makes the most sense to our readers. Most often, it will be surprising. You are laying ground for a later aha moment. And that's you chasing the word.